we would ask that people in the wider community, particularly on social media and online, do not speculate as to what may have happened to Nicola. This is particularly hurtful to her family, to her children, to her partner Paul, her parents, her sister and her friends, because it's not helpful to them, it's distressing and it's distracting for the police inquiry. That was Superintendent Sally Riley from Lancashire Police, with a message for the TikTok sleuths and amateur detectives who flooded the scene of the missing Nicola Bully. This week, I went to meet them. This is the Manchester Weekly from the Mill. Hello there, welcome to this week's episode of the Manchester Weekly from the Mill. With me, Daryl Morris, and the Mill's editor, Yoshi Herman. Hello, Yoshi. Hey, how's it going, Daryl? Going really well, my friend. I um, why am I greeting you like I sort of barely know you? <laughs> <laughs> I had a good day today because my uh, my shaver ran out of battery at the precise second that I'd finished shaving the face. Nice. When does that happen? That's good. And then my transport in my tram was on time. Nice. The bus that I get to the tram was on time. Everything moved perfectly. Nothing will go wrong in the recording of this podcast. <laughs> you said that now. We'll talk about transport in a little bit. Uh, that, that was a relevant tease to mm, yeah, a story we're going to get into in a little bit uh, about um, about public about transport around Greater Manchester, which has had there's been some interesting news around that this week. We've also been hearing, Yoshi, if you'll indulge us for a moment, mm. from some fans of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Lots of nice tweets in the last couple of weeks. Jane, how would you say that? Boyer? Boyer. Like, yeah, like a footballer Boyer. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, Jane Boyer. Unrelated to the footballer. Yeah. Um, well, you, well, what was maybe. he called? The lead one? Uh, he was called um, Lee Boy. Lee Boy. He got into a fight with uh, with his teammate. He did. That. Anyway, he was also had a sort of GBH conviction. Anyway, I don't think Jane's related to him. If she is, apologies. Jane Boyer says, if you're not on it already, get on to Manchester Mill. Recommend the Manchester Weekly podcast as an entry point. Thank you, Jane. That was her tweet. And then we've also got another one. Uh, this is from Jordan Lewis. He says, uh, if you want to discover more about Manchester, people and place, can I recommend signing up to Manchester Mill or listening to their free podcast? Mm. Uh, so nice to get something local and considered as opposed to MEN's local woman from Bury eats a thousand Haribo in half an hour. <laughs> you didn't have to read out the second part of the tweet, <laughs> but you chose to. Didn't have to. No, that was that was a choice. Yeah. Um, uh, thank you, Jordan and Jane, for being with us. I appreciate it. That makes a lot makes uh, makes a big difference, actually, doesn't it? Yeah, it's nice, me. actually. So, actually, if you are listening to this and you've got a Twitter account, do us a tweet and tag us, tag them, you know, the Manchester Mill Twitter handle. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's really nice when we get those. Uh, we also, this is also another exciting uh, mm. moment because we've got our second sponsor yeah. for the podcast, Yoshi. Yeah. And it's another one. It's another one that I'm genuinely thrilled by. Yeah, no, it's really good. It's very good overlap between us and them. Mm -hmm. Okay, who's this? So this is The Knowledge. Um, It's a brilliant free newsletter. The idea of The Knowledge is to filter out the media noise, basically. It gives you the most important stories and insightful opinions from around the world in a five-minute read. And I've known about these guys for ages because John Connell, who started it, mm-hmm. he was the guy who founded The Week ages ago. Like the, It was one of the most successful magazines in the country. Mm-hmm. He started The Week, and he sold The Week, and now he's gone on to create this, and it's digital only. Um, I, w- I chatted to John right when he started it because you know I was doing a media thing, he was doing a media thing. So we've always been in, in, in communication and stuff. But um, the point of it, is to make the news manageable. So it's bringing together lots of things that matter 
and actually like quite a few kind of trivial things that don't matter as well that make it quite fun to read they have like a home of the week like we do but generally it's like a 10 million pound mansion rather than one of our like <laughs> 300 grand uh <laughs> semis in in Levensium. Um, and and you can sign up now by going to theknowledge.com forward slash the mill. Put the forward slash the mill in, even though you don't have to, because then they'll know that you you know you came from us. Yeah. Theknowledge.com forward slash the mill. And the cool thing about this is, I think their theory is people feel almost assaulted by so many different social media sources. Yes. Just constant information flying at you, which I'm sure you can sympathize with. Yes. And what this is about saying in five minutes every day, you'll be up to date. You'll be amused, you'll be entertained, you'll be informed, like, which is a pretty good proposition, I think, for a new media product. Yes. I'm sick of feeling like I'm trudging through the world, right? Mm. That, that I'm just constantly having to wade through so much information, some of it useful, some of it not, yeah. not curated by anybody other than a tech platform that wants yeah. to make me angry. Yeah, yeah. To have something like this sounds really good. I've, all, I've just literally, while she was speaking, I've just signed up. I've good. got my email. I just got an email from John Connell saying, welcome to the night. Yeah. Is, is he just sort of sat there waiting for people yeah. immediately responding in person? That's all he does. Is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what but, a great guy. What a commitment. You've actually put your finger on an important thing, which is that the algorithms that, 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 that allow us to see certain things and not see certain things on social media platforms, as you say, they are kind of conditioned to try and either make us angry or, 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 or sort of mean that make us needy or make us want to come back to that platform half an hour later. You know, it's all about creating addiction, isn't yeah. it? And I think there's a real argument now for media companies that are built on the principle that intelligent humans will choose what you see and you can trust them and they can tell you they're working. Like the algorithms, you don't know how they do it. Yeah. The humans can say, hey, we find these kind of things interesting. We don't find these kind of things interesting. Here's yeah. our reasoning. So I think that's um, a, a big selling point of the knowledge. It's a selling point of, of the mill and lots of other things. But anyway, sign up, theknowledge.com forward slash the mill. Brilliant. We will. Okay, let's get into it. Um, there has been a really interesting, controversial in some, in some quarters, Announcement from Manchester City Council this week that's launched its active travel strategy, which is a really ambitious plan mm. to basically make it easier to walk, to cycle and to wheel around the city. Yeah. Right. Tell yeah. me about this. Well, so everyone knows that cities are trying to become less car dependent or less full of cars for health reasons to do with pollution, for health reasons to do with the fact that it's obviously much healthier for people to be walking and cycling and wheeling around. Um, for reasons of, 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 of carbon emissions, um, lots of different reasons. And Manchester is trying to sort of step up to the plate. And I think there's a general perception among experts that Manchester hasn't been particularly brilliant on this. Some of the cycle lanes it's made haven't been, um, you know, properly walled off. That's not the correct terminology, is it walled off? You know, kind of with a physical barrier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 that, that actually we're still pretty car dominated. Also, we have this big thing that a lot of people take buses, but not that many take, people take trains. So there, there's um, that I think there's a general feeling that Manchester could be doing better when it comes to to the, its transport mix. The proposed changes here range from things like widening footways, um, reallocating road space for active travel. Um, reducing the this sort of default city centre speed limit to 20 miles an hour, uh, removing barriers from uh, walking and cycling paths that stop sort of non-standard cycles, which has been a big thing that I've seen people tweeting about. Um, so that's they're the kind of measures, and I don't think we have time to go into the, like super in-depth, but people can find a bit more detail in our Monday briefing. I think what I found really interesting was how ambitious the goals are. Like, I've got no idea if they can actually do this, but they want to 
double the proportion of journeys in and out of the city by bike by 2028. And 2028 is in five years, right? So that's pretty soon, doubling the proportion of journeys in and out by bike. Um, Over the longer term, so by 2040, so what's that, 17 years, they want to halve the proportion of morning journeys made into the city by car. So as a proportion now, you know, halving it by then, reducing it from currently apparently it's 21%. Um, and they want to get it down to 10%. And by that point, 2040, they want 90% of morning commutes into the city centre to be made via public transport or active travel. I mean, that's obvious because I've just told you about the 10% of for cars. Yeah. But that's um, that would be up from only 61% now. So from 61% active travel to, to 90 So these are pretty ambitious um, goals, and um, I think they've been welcomed by campaigners but the campaigners actually want to see this being confirmed and the investments being made and the action being taken before they truly sort of welcome it. Okay, so help me out, because I also saw that there was an announcement about an active travel England uh, pot of money that's sort of up for grabs, right? Is that part of this? That's part of the same thing, or is it just a coincidence that it's happened at the same time? I actually don't know about that. Um, I don't. I, to be honest, I haven't covered this story. Jack was on it, so I'm not exactly sure about that, but clearly... Uh, there's more money towards this stuff at the uh, at the moment from the government and councils are definitely trying to get their bid in. But as to what proportion of this will be funded by sort of centrally, locally, etc., I'm not exactly sure. Okay, uh, interesting. Well, we'll watch. That. How how is your commute through the city on foot, bike? Well, I walk. Do you? It's a, it's a it's an eleven twelve minute walk. Was it? How'd I you walk fa- through the Northern Quarter, Piccadilly Gardens, down Market Street. And then I'm uh, I'm at the Royal Exchange, so in a sense, I've got a very easy decision. Like it'd be mad if I was driving. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the Northern Quarter is full of narrow paths, little thoroughfares, right? Until you sort of get out onto the Market Street bit. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a bit of that. I mean, I do think it's mad how many roads I have to cross. I think I have to cross six or seven roads in like an eleven minute commute. So that seems a bit mm. much. I don't see why the city centre can't just have some 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 big roads that need to be there to bring stuff in but then less of the kind of like crisscross, crisscross, crisscross. Mm. I th- and I think that's the vision. If you go to places like Amsterdam, they've just been like, look, cars are going to be relegated. Yeah. I mean, I've got a car, so I find it extremely inconvenient when they do these things, but I do still believe in it. I, th- yeah. I, I do think we should reduce our, uh, the number of cars in the city. Okay. Speaking of relegated, mm. oh, you handed me that one on a plate, Yoshi. Yep. You really did. I don't know if you knew what you were doing there, mate, but that was brilliant. I did. I will greatly receive. Manchester City are in trouble. Trouble to the tune of potentially being relegated. I think that feels unlikely, but that's the way that people are talking about this story, right? That Manchester City are in trouble with the Premier League mm. off the pitch. Yeah, Just remind us what's going on here. So this is about hundreds of alleged breaches of financial rules from 2009 to 2018. They relate basically to an allegation that has been kicking around for a while, as you know, that City have been playing fast and loose with their finances to avoid being caught up in the football fair play rules. Mm -hmm. So these are the kind of rules that mean that clubs can't spend massively beyond their means. Because I think it was felt in football that certain clubs, because they were owned by unbelievably wealthy owners, they were getting an unfair advantage. So they tried to kind of curtail that a little bit by saying you can't make losses of more than, you know, whatever it is per year. And the allegation here is that City use sort of backdoor devices to get around these rules. Some relate to bringing in more money than you're allowed to um, bring in. So doing a sponsorship deal that just seems incredibly generous and you wonder whether that's some sort of deal where the person who's sponsoring has got some links to the owners. There are some 
allegations around that. Then there are allegations around spending, allegedly using sort of special arrangements that allowed them to pay, for example, managers more than they seemed to be earning. So it's like one of their managers also had a contract with a, another club in the Gulf, but he didn't do much work for that club, but he got paid loads by that club, that sort of thing. So, so these kind of um, hide-the-ball uh, mechanisms that might have been going on, it's all alleged um it's um it's 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 going to be um it's going to be very interesting because as you say the the potential punishment goes up to points deductions relegation from the league etc mm-hmm. and it's worth saying that man city obviously are denying a lot of this as well yeah they're denying they say there's irrefutable evidence against it and i think the important context that i heard someone say on on radio 5 live this week is the government's about to do its white paper on football governance effectively people are wondering whether the government will have a, a football regulator as mm-hmm. some people have been calling for mm-hmm. and some people think that the premier league are basically trying to get ahead of that by saying we don't need a regulator we don't need someone looking after our business we can look we, after our own shop yeah we yeah. can look after our own shop but then you know the counter argument i think is well you know these charges relate to a period from 2009 to 2018. Why on earth didn't you fix things then? Mm. Okay, interesting. Uh, that'll rumble for a while, won't it? Because there's, there's, I mean, there's a hundred charges, so presumably there's a hundred uh, yeah. different uh, responses that Man City will want to make as well to those. So that'll rumble for a while, I'm sure. Um, elsewhere this week, Yoshi, I've been following very closely the story of Nicola Bully. This isn't strictly in Greater Manchester. Yeah, but it's close, isn't it? It's outside, but it's yeah, it is. It's what, uh, is it an hour, hour north? Yeah, it took me. But why? I went up yesterday mm. um, uh, for reasons I'll explain in a moment. It took me about fifty minutes. Uh, where is it? Again? So this is Saint Michael on Weir which is uh, just sort of north of Preston, just about 45 minutes away from Blackpool. Is it Weir? I thought it might be Wire. But uh, yeah, it's, I mean, you know, pick your right, pick right, your. But one. you're from Lancashire, so you should. Maybe, know. maybe Wire. Right. Um, and effectively, this is a story of a missing person. That's yeah. what it is. But yeah. it's a very, very curious case. So Nicola Bully, who is a 45-year-old mother of two yeah. from nearby Inskip, went missing a week Friday, 27th of January, after taking her dog for a walk. She was on a Teams call with her work. So she was a work call. It was a big call. She wasn't active on it, and she didn't have her uh, her camera or her um, uh, microphone on. Right. right. So you know, one of those calls that you have where it's a whole, there's, your whole department's right. there, and somebody's updating you, and right. you know, it wasn't necessarily expected that she'd be active on it. Got it. From ten past nine, she was spotted. That was the last sighting of her. Okay. And then ten minutes later, somebody found her phone, the lead for the dog that she'd taken with her, and her dog, who was dry. Um, no sign of Nicola. And this has obviously baffled police. It's mm. baffled her friends. It's baffled her family. Mm. And after several days of searching, the police reached this hypothesis that she had fallen into the river, that she'd perhaps fallen down the bank and into the river. And was her stuff found right by the river? It was found on a bench that is very that is right next to the river. Yeah, which is a, it's at the, at the top of a bank that slopes down into the river. And did you? And when you went there, did you think, oh, someone could fall down that slope? It, it was. It was. I think not not necessarily not without there being a reason. Yeah. Lost consciousness, gone lightheaded, you know, mm. passed out or whatever, or been yeah. shoved potentially. But but I think I think the idea of her mm. simply ju- the idea of you simply just falling down into right. the river right. feels a bit unlikely to me. But you know, yeah. I'm I'm wary to speculate for the reason mm. that I was there. Right. Because I went up yesterday to track some of the TikTok sleuths and amateur detectives who have descended mm. on this case. So it's been an extraordinary week or so of people posting videos yeah. with their hypothesis, with their theories, some of them utterly outlandish, right. some of them harassing of neighbours. And who are these TikTok suits? Are they teens? Um, it's a range of people. Right. But um, So yesterday I, I bumped into a guy called 
Danny. Mm. And Danny is a prolific TikToker. He's got about 100,000 followers on TikTok, 200,000 subscribers on YouTube. Mm. And he is somebody who's predominantly done videos where he kind of goes and explores abandoned places. But he does paranormal stuff as well. And he's built a healthy following doing Mm. that. Um, And this week decided that he would turn his hand to true crime. And so he's been rummaging through the bushes and he's been... There's been some bits that, that he has been part of that have been kind of controversial. He went to have a rummage around a house, which is just on the opposite side of the river to where Nicola went. So missing. he's kind of cosplaying as a police officer. A little bit, and there's several of them doing this. And the the, the true crime TikTok phenomena mm. has been booming in the last couple of years, right? right? With 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 people, uh, you know, creating content around actual active true crime right. uh, murders or missing disappearances or whatever else, and spouting theories some of them you know benign some of them damaging it sounds quite exploitative it is and i put that to him and he he acknowledged that point Mm. but he genuinely believed that he was helping he genuinely believed that he had something to offer Mm. he said that the family and the police have said they don't know what's happened here the other thing about this story is as well i mean it's a genuine mystery right i mean just before we recording yoshi you and i were talking about what on earth could have happened here you very quickly you snap into thinking of all the theories that you can right it's it's a genuine mystery that is i've definitely seen people online i mean i haven't been following this case but people online saying we don't believe the police hypothesis that she fell into the river and we don't think they should be ruling out other stuff. Are they ruling out other scenarios? Um, it, that, that's yes and no. They, right. they, they have been able, they feel, to rule out third party involvement, i.e. she was kidnapped or she was hurt in some kind of way because mm. there is no evidence of it, right? And they also have various bits of CCTV off where she went, went missing that hasn't shown her leaving that area. Right. The reason that I went yesterday... Though, They've was, also haven't found her in the river. No, they haven't found her in the river. And and the, there is a, a private investigative firm mm. uh, led by a guy called Peter Folding, who mm. I spoke to over the weekend, mm. who also doesn't buy the idea that she fell in the river. Mm. But he's offered his services as somebody who's got superior equipment to the Lancashire, Lancashire Police um, to be able to rule that out. He says that in the next few days, perhaps even by the time this podcast is published, he will be able to conclude mm-hmm. whether he will either find her mm. or be able to firmly conclude uh-huh. that she didn't fall in the river. So I guess we'll we'll find out more about that in due course. Yeah. The reason I was there was was to follow these people mm. and to kind of understand what motivates people to go there. Yeah. And there's two types of people here that we're talking about because mm. there's the TikToks lose, the people like Danny, who are making videos, who are making content out of it, who are sharing theories, who are doing the bit that the police are calling out as damaging. Mm. And then there's the the what one journalist who I was speaking to there yesterday described as grief junkies he said there's lots of people coming down here wow. who are simply coming to have a look who are rubbernecking who are sort of you know what locals or people who've come mainly local yeah right. yeah most of the people that i spoke to had come from preston nearby and, and what are they doing just watching the river or? just basically watching yeah and some of them saying you know they're, they're here to see if they can find something they're here to try and help but i think people feel for all sorts of different reasons mm. so there were there was a group of girls that I spoke to mm. who were there under the pretense that they were trying to help, but they didn't believe the police's hypothesis that they wanted to try and have a look for themselves. They'd, mm. They said that they were mothers, that they'd felt an emotional attachment to the story. And had they been following some of this online discourse? Yeah, all of them following it online, of course. All right. of them knee-deep in what's going on on Facebook. Right. There was one guy who, uh, who approached me. I had my microphone, actually. Mm. He approached me, and he was a guy in his 60s, a bit kind of dishevelled and weathered. He had work mm. outfit that was hanging off him. Mm. And I said to him, do you mind me asking why you're here? What's compelled, mm. what's compelled you to come down? And he pulled his phone out and he showed me a picture of a family. Mm. And he started pointing at members of this picture. Mm. She's dead. He's dead. She's dead. And she's dead. Right. And it was a picture of his family before a house fire 
that had taken the mm. lives of four of his grandchildren. Right. And he said that he just felt like he wanted to be there. He actually asked me where, where the family were. Have I seen the family? And Nicholas' sister had been around doing some interviews. And I said, oh, maybe down there. And, and as he mm. sort of shoveled off down the mud, he said, I just wanted to come because I wanted to see the family. I wanted to tell them that I know how it feels oh, right. to lose somebody like this. So it sort of it acts as a bit of a magnet for people with like a whole variety of different motivations. Some of them... A little bit grim some of them understandable but a little bit tragic yeah exactly some of them sort of quite unnecessary yeah exactly and um the, i'm, I'm going to publish a story about danny in the fullness of time but uh, yeah. the, there's one story that he told me about his sister mm. having died mm. when back in 2011 an open verdict was returned mm. and he doubted that believes that he didn't quite get the answers and, and he said that um, later on in the interview he said i'm just looking for closure for this family and I suggested that maybe he was also looking for closure for himself, yeah. to which he agreed. Yeah. So there's a whole complicated, lots of different complex human reasons. It's interesting when crimes happen now, so much of the online discourse is about how the official version can't be true. Now, now these people might be right, but it feels like every murder or disappearance, there's kind of like the things that we're not being told. There's a conspiratorial like feel or vibe to a lot of the online commentary around crime now and obviously occasionally it's justified but it seems to for me it feels like almost in a a way of thinking or an aesthetic even that's come from true crime netflix shows or something where there has been a scandal or where the police have got it wrong or yorkshire ripper where they where they had the wrong hypothesis for years or whatever it's super interesting how popular culture feeds into how people respond to real events definitely and and actually one of the one of the um girls that i was speaking to when i put this accusation to them that they are grief junkies i use that word Mm. i said somebody referred to people who come to crime scenes like this or missing person scenes like this as grief junkies and she said and she pointed at the cameras a mm. big bank of news cameras yeah. and she said are they not new, uh, grief junkies yeah. which those I, are the grief junkies which actually is not an entirely unfair point it's not more about that in the fullness of time and we'll obviously keep an eye on what happens with that story mm. um, a couple of other quick bits to get through and speaking of the police mm. Yoshi Greater Manchester Police and their conduct of course back in the news this week what is this? Yeah, so there are two horrible stories about the GMP, Greater Manchester Police. I'll summarise them from BBC reporting. One is about a police officer who's been arrested on suspicion of rape. He was detained this week um, in an immediate response to a report received that day, according to the force. Um, The constable was acting up in the role of temporary sergeant, the report says, and he'd been posted to GMP's City of Manchester district. Um, according to this BBC report. So that's one piece of news. Mm. The second is about custody. Um, GMP left some people naked in cells and detainees' safety was put at risk, according to inspectors. Uh, Again, I'm quoting from the BBC. The police watchdog said urgent attention was required to improve GMP custody services after an inspection. It also criticised the limited oversight of the use of force and inappropriate detention of children. Okay, big questions to be answered there for Greater Manchester Police. Mm. Let's also talk about Social Chain, Mm. who a lot of people might know as being, well, if you're online, you might know it as being a, a marketing group. Uh, if you know Stephen Bartlett, you'll know him as being a businessman who does hit podcasts and appears on Dragon's Den. I don't know if a lot of people know that Social Chain was started in Manchester by Stephen Bartlett. And it's also been in the news this week, hasn't it, Yoshi? 
Yeah, so Stephen Bartlett has become this sort of online phenomenon, right? His podcast is massive. Um, he is on Dragon's Den. He is sort of seen as one of the country's young entrepreneurial successes, like a tycoon. Mm-hmm. And one of the claims that's made about him is that he built up this company, Social Chain, which is a sort of social media marketing agency. It's like they knew how to make things go viral and lots of companies wanted to use them for that reason, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and they became particularly prominent, I think, in, you know, from memory, 2016, 2017, 2018. I remember that's when people started saying, oh, social chain are amazing at this whole virality thing. Anyway, Stephen Bartlett, um, when he's been described in the media, is often described as someone who sort of sold a business that was worth hundreds of millions or he built up a business that was worth hundreds of millions. The interesting thing this week is that there's a story that social chain is going to be sold for £7.7 million, which might sound like a lot. Like, you probably think, oh, wow, he's done really well there. But if your reputation is of as of someone who's built up, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds worth of value in a company, mm. and that's why you're on Dragon's Den, whatever, that's why everyone listens to you. And then it turns out that the bit you actually built is being sold for much, much less than that. Mm. It sort of raises questions. So there have been all these tweets um, sort of, questioning his prior claims that he built this enormous business people saying actually what happened is your business uh, merged with a much larger business which then took on the name social chain but you were not the one who built all out they kind of acquired a, a tiny business on top so timothy armu hope i'm saying that um name right he's the founder of a rival marketing agency and he on Twitter this week has described Bartlett's claims about the, the value he built up in his business as disingenuous at best. Um, Bartlett has tried to clarify the situation on Twitter by saying that the company now being sold is, quote, essentially a struggling Manchester office, you know, close quote, of, of the larger business, prompting someone else to answer, ask, basically, isn't that struggling Manchester office the business you built? I.e., like, isn't that the bit of the larger company that you actually had a stake in? And he wasn't the only founder, by the way. There were others, so he wouldn't, have, he wouldn't be standing to make seven million. It would be less than that. So definitely sort of just, like, initial questions about whether the backstory behind Stephen Bartlett is exactly what um, people think it is. Stephen Bartlett tweeted about this. Did you see this? No. So Stephen Bartlett tweeted a sort of response saying, you know, here we go again, lots of uh, this kind of stuff going around. Uh, he said, uh, me and this is Wanja Oberhoff, who is the uh, who was the CEO of Social Chain AG. So the, 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 the company, much bigger company, the much bigger company that Social, Gene, uh, Social Chain had a reverse merger with. Yeah. Um, uh, we were co-CEOs of the Social Chain group. We raised the capital together and acquired new companies. He says the group had 30 plus companies at the time that I quit three years ago. Mm. Last week, Social Chain sold one of its agencies that it owns, the very first, which is his, mm. the one that he built in Manchester, mm. uh, and announced that it is selling the remaining agencies. Uh, Wanja Oberhoff has also said um, he said a bit of gaga discussion here on Twitter Stephen Bartlett and I scaled the business together as co-CEOs and was essential to bringing it to a 650 million euro valuation when we upscaled so that's their, that's their side of the argument I guess yeah <laughs> but you know it's... Stephen Bartlett does make lots of big claims he does position himself in the way that he positions himself I think so. if you if, I think if you're going to be someone who's on the BBC and who's got that kind of public influence and getting you know money from, from us as the uh, licence fee payers I think you need to be really clear about what exactly you did do and what you didn't do. And it sounds like uh, he's got a few more questions to answer on that front. Sure. Come talk about Bolton as well, please. Yeah. Some interesting news about development in Bolton that I've been following very closely, not just because it's my hometown, but because I think this is also just a really interesting story about the way that Greater Manchester evolves. What's going on in Bolton? 
Yeah, so we had a little bit of gossip in our Monday briefing. We said that the front runner in the Bolton Northeast Labour selection, selecting the candidate for Labour for the next election in Bolton Northeast, that that front runner, Lee Drennan, he was going to be kept off the long list. And like all gossip that we publish, it turned out very quickly to be true. It was confirmed by Lee Drennan. Um, so why is this interesting? Firstly, because this is one of the seats that Labour is hoping to take at the next election. So this was a Labour seat. The Conservatives took it at the 2019 election. Labour is really targeting to get it back. And they should get it back. A good Labour general election result would have this back in the Labour column. The other reason why it's interesting, according to people I've spoken to, is that Drennan had sort of positioned himself um, as someone who's on the left, you know, and, and that's a clever thing to do in, in some parts of Labour. It brings a lot of activists with you. And, you know, I'm not saying he isn't of the left. He may well be. I've never spoken to him. But what this person said to me was the fact that he was kept off the long list, despite the fact that he was a popular sort of front runner, shows that the National Labour Party, the, what they call the leader's office, are really making sure that they only get the MPs you know, if, if they were to win the next general election, they only get the MPs that they really like. Because there's all these famous stories about New Labour won in 1997. And suddenly, Peter Mandelson and Tony Blair looked at all these new MPs and thought, who the hell are all these people? Because <laughs> yeah. they didn't expect to win the majority that they did. Yeah. And suddenly they had all these people, they hadn't even vetted them. Mm. I think Sir Keir Starmer's office is trying not to have that scenario. So they're trying to make sure that everyone is politically of their, you know, not everyone, but where they can. Yeah, They're influence. trying to trim these selection lists. Mm. So someone said to me, it shows the leader's office is absolutely ruthless in keeping people they don't like out of parliament. It's interesting, that, isn't it? Because that happens every time there's a big majority. Mm. It kind of happened in 2019 as well, didn't it? With mm. several MPs, you know, a lot of those red wall seats going to Tories who were, the Tory party hadn't really given much attention to because they never thought they were going to win them. Yeah. And so, oh my God, we've suddenly got, as Blair did. Yeah. Who, yeah, as you're right, who are all these people? Are they even suitable? Yeah. And the, the same happened in 2017 as well. In fact, uh, uh, Jared O'Mara is pointed out as one of those people oh, yeah. who ended up leaving Parliament and there's lots of, uh, you know, lots of issues surrounding him yeah. as being somebody who was never expected to win what was Nick Clegg's seat yeah. in Sheffield and um, and the problems that that can cause. Mm. Very interesting. Um, okay, quick newsroom update for, for us, please, Joshy, because something quite exciting actually is going on in the mill. We are launching an event series with Manchester University Press exclusively for mill members. Mm -hmm. I know many listeners are mill members, so this is for you. We will be interviewing some of the city's best authors on stage about their new books and giving our members a chance to hear from our team about big stories as well. So imagine you go along to the event, you go into the Burgess Centre, you buy a beer, you hit up some other members and chat to them, right? Then you hear from a couple of the members of our team about the reporting we're doing. You can ask questions of Molly or Jack or me about stuff we've been working on recently. We'll give you some insights into our process. Then I will interview, or Sophie will interview on stage, these authors. You're talking about people like Andy Spinoza, for example, is the first one in, uh -huh. in March. Mm -hmm. um, let me try and remember the others. Tom Haynes Doran, who's written a, a really interesting book. It's about a book about um, the train networks, train privatization. He's one of them. Um, there's a guy called David Scott, who's written a book about called Mancunians. And th that's just the first three. There will also be women involved in this, in this series. <laughs> yeah. anyway, so that's, okay. that's happening. And next week, we're going to be sending out the link so members can book their exceptionally cheap tickets for those events lovely excellent okay and uh, we always like to give you a bit of a, a nod for something going on around greater manchester so what should we be doing in the next couple of days please joshi so at solhay gallery which you would know well if you had come to our christmas drinks ah oh, but you didn't I didn't did i what was what was wrong with me that day no, i don't know did i have there's, COVID? There's, there's, there's always some excuse yeah um 
Anyway, Solhay Gallery is in Castlefield. It's the problem with Solhay Gallery is it's very hard to find. Like what? two people who were coming to our party didn't end up finding it and didn't come. Like like people were like I was getting missed calls I missed obviously, you know. But um it's very hard to find but if you do find it in Castlefield it's really really good. There's there's lots of interesting contemporary work in there. Dr. Victoria King is presenting an ex- exhibition based on her collection of art from um, Utopia, a remote Aboriginal outstation of um, uh, outstation, um, it's 270 kilometres northeast of, of Alice Springs in Australia. God, that's very specific, that description. Where is Alice Springs? Where is that? I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know where that is. Anyway, all you need to know is it, it surely is that it is in Australia. Uh, she lived in this settlement um, from no, uh, 1998 to 2004, and she's bringing these hybrid works of art that reflect their ancient culture um, to this Manchester audience at the Solhay. It's open from Saturday, uh, this coming Saturday, uh, to Sunday the 26th of February. And, um, yeah, we're, 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 we're fans of Solhay, not only because they had us for our Christmas drinks, but because it's nice to see some original and, and new artists um, being displayed in Manchester. Very nice. OK, lovely. Um, my nod is uh, comedian Rhys James, who I like a lot. You might have seen him on the telly and mm. stuff. Uh, he, um, uh, he's he got a, a show called Spilt Milk. He, he is brilliant. He's on the Lowry on Thursday night. And Peel Tower, you know that you know that sort of landmark on the that sort of speck on the on the horizon uh, in Berry mm. uh, up the hill. Have to admit, uh, I don't. At Ramsbottom, well, it's kind of a bit out of town. Mm. But if you if you're ever a sort of North Manchester area, you will see it. Um, it's a curious kind of mystery. They've got an open day, so you can go and have a look inside uh, Peel Tower and have a look at the uh, you know have a look at it and the architecture of it and all that sort of stuff. And they're running a couple of those. The first one starts on the twelfth of February, which is this weekend, isn't it? So that is Saturday. So uh, and uh, it's Sunday actually. And if we're allowed to do a recommendation that's not something you do but something you read, because yeah. I think we should actually, because people can't always make it along to these these events. Please, there is an interesting piece um, on the Conversation website. The Conversation excellent. My website is amazing, by the way. It's it's pieces by academics. So so someone's done two years of research on something at the University of Sheffield, and then it goes on this website, The Conversation. Really like it. They're Mill fans. We're Conversation fans. Anyway, there's a piece about Manchester. Um, two academics, um, have, including John Silver, who's a long-time Mill member, have, are charting the rise in this piece of build to rent. It's called BTR developments, right? Yeah. These are large blocks of housing um, owned by institutional investors like pension funds, investment funds. It's not like me buying a flat and renting it out. Not that I could, but mm. it's 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 BTR. It's not it's not buy to let. And um, BTR is growing very fast in in Manchester. We're one of the epicenters of BTR. In the I quote from the piece in the city regional centre. Um, we're talking, um, you know, forty oh, out of forty-five thousand new housing units built between twenty twelve and twenty twenty, twenty-three thousand were BTR. So wow. I'm just recommending this piece because I think it's it's super interesting about basically how housing is changing and how it's increasingly owned by massive corporations instead of just like your regular homeowners very interesting uh, worth a look as is the mill of course you can get more quality journalism in your inbox you know what to do manchestermill.co.uk is where you go to grow uh, to join a growing list of subscribers and yeah oh god should, there's more and you should give us a rating on the, your um favored yeah what is it platform podcast app. yeah like mm. if, if it's spotify give us a rating if it's apple podcast and a comment comments help as well yeah how, do you, how do you look at the comments uh, I don't know, actually. I've never actually seen the comments. But Scroll down. We love the ratings. And, and, and do tweet us. Do, do tweet us because we love those tweets. They go down our group chat and they give us a lot of joy. And um, thank you to The Knowledge for, um, for sponsoring us. Uh, just to remind you of that, um, of that address, how, how you sign up to The Knowledge. 
it is thenowledge.com forward slash the mill. Thank you for being with us this week. See you next week.